Hi friends, welcome to Preacher, a podcast designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. We have a wonderfully supportive and encouraging Patreon community. Sarah, Lauren, Dave, Steve, Mark, Sheila, and Tom, I thank the world of you all, and I thank our God every time I remember you. If you are a listener who hasn't yet joined our Patreon community, now is a great time. Your support keeps this good work going, so thank you. Links are in the show notes. I'm your host, Jen Hale Christie, and this is season six. Today on the podcast, we have special guest preacher Becky Frazier, who is a minister with a church in Nashville, Tennessee, and today she is bringing us a word from John chapter 3, the Gospel of John, third chapter, and it is a good word, particularly for those of us who have had theological education, um, who are interested in theological education, or who just really enjoy studying theology and who um, might even run the risk of spending a bit too much time learning and talking and studying and reading about God um, at the cost of an actual relationship with God. So without further ado, let's hear a word from Becky. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this passage, we meet a man by the name of Nicodemus. 
He's a Pharisee, a well-respected leader, and a member of the Sanhedrin, which would have been something similar to the Jewish Supreme Court. Nicodemus is a good Jew. Being in the position he was in meant that he was very well-read and knows the Old Testament scriptures backward and forward. He probably would have dominated at Bible Bowl competitions. And he's likely seen or at least heard of Jesus' miraculous works and maybe even some of the inflammatory things that Jesus had done, like swinging bullwhips in the middle of the temple. So he comes to talk to Jesus, and John tells us that he does this at night. He's probably sneaking around under cover of darkness so that no one, specifically his Pharisee friends, will catch him talking to Jesus. He addresses him, Rabbi, teacher, a sign of respect, saying, We know that you are from God because we've seen the signs that you do. Jesus' response to this greeting is, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused. After all, he hasn't asked what he needed to do to see the kingdom of God. He hadn't asked anything at all. Really, he'd just come in and said a respectful hello when Jesus responds with this statement about being born again. And though it might seem like Jesus is abruptly changing the subject, I don't think he is, but I'll get back to that in a minute. Nicodemus then goes on to ask, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answers, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus tells Nicodemus, don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. But despite Jesus' admonishment not to be, Nicodemus is surprised and says incredulously, How can this be? In other places, Jesus tells his followers and the crowds that the kingdom of God is like salt or light, or leaven. But here, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God until you take a step back and come at this from an entirely different angle, until you see it from above. It's important for us to understand that the phrase that we translate as born again actually has a double meaning in the original Greek. It could mean born again, or it could also mean born from above. Nicodemus, the great scholar that he is, chooses the most basic meaning of the phrase born again and doesn't consider the possibility of a deeper, more spiritual understanding of being born from above. And reading it a couple of thousand years later, we tend to read the story and think, oh, Nicodemus, you're so obtuse. Can't you see what's right in front of you? But I imagine in so doing that we are simultaneously being too harsh on Nicodemus and giving ourselves too much credit. I can see why he would be so oblivious. I probably would have been too. After all, he's a prominent Jewish teacher. The text refers to him as the teacher of Israel. Well-read, highly knowledgeable, respected in the community, 
He has all of the right letters after his name. He went to the best school. He attends synagogue every week. He doesn't need to be born again physically. He's a Jew. He was born right to begin with. He was born into the correct covenant community, into God's chosen people. Even today, the term born-again Christian refers to someone who has a great conversion story, right? Someone who left behind a life of drugs or alcohol or another type of addiction. Someone who was on a self-destructive path but has now come to know Jesus and turned their life around. Someone who has an encounter with the divine and walks away utterly changed. But Nicodemus is exactly the kind of person that does not need to be born again, that does not need a change, and he knows it. So back to my earlier point. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we can see that you are a teacher come from God, and then Jesus abruptly tells him that he needs to be born again, to be born from above, Jesus is not introducing a new subject into their conversation. What he's saying is, Nicodemus, you don't need another teacher. You don't need another book to read or another idea to discuss and develop. Nicodemus, you don't need more education. You need a savior. You don't need another abstract thought about God. You need to experience God. Jesus references a scene from the Old Testament where poisonous snakes had been biting the Israelites who were wandering and complaining in the desert for 40 years. Moses petitions God to save the Israelites from this terror. So he makes a bronze snake on a staff, and anyone who had been bitten just needed to look at the snake, and the poison would vanish, and the victim would live. Jesus is comparing himself to that snake and foreshadowing his own death on the cross. Jesus knew that Nicodemus needed to be saved from the poison that was spreading inside of him. But this poison didn't look like a life of sin and debauchery. It looked like a life of strict conservative religion that had lost the plot somewhere along the way. In the words of Tim Keller, Jesus isn't calling Nicodemus to morality and religion. He's challenging the established morality and religion. He's reminding him that God loves all of God's creation and has always been trying to move us closer and closer into relationship with him. Verse 16 is probably one of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible. Children memorize it in Sunday school. Athletes write it across their faces. It's on the bumper stickers of our cars and on bookmarks and keychains. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. You see, Nicodemus, like his other Pharisee friends, had been guilty of trying to put the spirit into a box to contain it and give it structure and pass judgment on who was allowed to have it. And then Jesus comes in and says, no, the spirit is like the wind, which blows wherever it chooses. And the thing about wind is that if you try to close all the doors and windows to keep it inside, 
It's just going to end up musty and airless in the room while the breeze dances with the trees outside. The same is true when we try to box in the spirit, to put rules around it where we think it can and can't go, or try to keep it all for ourselves. Many of the Pharisees, like Nicodemus, had forgotten that their entire purpose, the whole reason that they were God's chosen people to begin with, was to be a blessing to the entire world. But it seems like they had gotten so focused on being special that their navel-gazing kept them from this holy work. I think I may identify a bit too much with Nicodemus here. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of thinking that those people need a rebirth, need salvation, but not me. You know the ones I'm talking about, the ones that make you just a little bit uncomfortable, that are a little different. See, I grew up a Christian. I read the Bible. I've never done anything too bad. I went to school to be a preacher, and I've done a lot of reading about God. And I wonder how many times I've hindered the work of the kingdom by thinking that the Spirit couldn't possibly work in that way, or in that place, or in those people. I, too, am often in need of a rebirth of dying to myself so that something brand new can emerge. But birth is hard and messy and scary. It comes with all kinds of questions. What will this new life be like? Am I ready for this? And an endless list of what ifs. And of course, the pain. But Jesus tells Nicodemus that this rebirth is the path to eternal life. And it seems that Nicodemus ended up having his rebirth after all. We hear about him again briefly, twice more in the book of John. In one case, he was standing up to the Pharisees who were trying to judge Jesus without fully hearing him. And again, after Jesus' death, we see him one last time bringing oils and spices to prepare Jesus' body for burial. His rebirth from above came when he saw Jesus and what he had come to do. So this week, may you be aware of instances of rebirth all around you. In sunrises, in flowers, in baby belly laughs, in hope that dares to grow in the midst of grief. And when you see these signs of rebirth, I hope that you will remember Nicodemus and be challenged to consider what areas in your life need a rebirth from above. Maybe it's in how you view other people. Maybe it's in how you view yourself and how you view your call and your part in the work of the kingdom. Maybe it's in how you view God and what God can and is doing among us to bring about reconciliation and redemption to the whole world. Birth isn't easy. It's long and painful and scary, and just when it's over, then we're tasked with nurturing the new life, which can be just as long and painful and scary. But when the end result is that we are finally able to see the kingdom of God, we know that it was all worth it in the end. Hello, Becky. Welcome to the Preach Her podcast. Hello. So glad to be here. 
Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your sermon. Before we talk about your sermon, let's hear about you because you and I have never met in real life. We have mutual friends, multiple mutual friends who have said, Becky Frazier needs to preach on the podcast. So let's hear about you. Where are you? What do you do day to day? Yeah, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I moved here about four years ago. I work at Otter Creek Church as the missional discipleship minister, which means that I get to work with all of the ministries that we serve locally here in Nashville and in Brentwood and find ways to plug in people at Otter Creek um, where they can use their gifts and talents to serve our community. And it's really fun and really beautiful and every day looks a little bit different. Very cool. That's very similar to what I was doing when I was working for a church here in Beaverton. Um, Very cool. So that's what you do for your work life. Um, And what about like family, um, school? I didn't, were you in school? Did you, did you do school a few years ago? Yes, I was. I moved to Nashville to get my Master's of Divinity at Lipscomb, and I finished out last May. So I've been out for a little over a year now. Uh, It's been blissful. (laughs) (laughs) I've been reading so many things that I wanted to read, which has been fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the best. Like, you get so excited for all the reading that you get to do in classes. And then, like, when it's over, you're like, oh my gosh, I get to choose my own books again. This is fantastic. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And get back to like actual like novels or other kinds of stories. Oh my word. Yes. I was eating up novels those first few months. Yeah. What's um, any, any off the top of your head that are good ones that you'd recommend? Ooh. Um, the Alice Network is one that I read pretty okay. recently. Um, it, it's fascinating. Uh, World War II women spies. Lots of fun. The Alice Uh, Network. Under a Scarlet Sky is another great one. Again, World War II. This one's set in Italy. I Uh I love historical fiction. And if it's got a little bit of romance tossed in there, then right up my alley. Cool. Thank you. I'm going to have to check those out. I've been listening to audiobooks like crazy during this quarantine. Um, I mean, I was into them before, but like really like crazy now. So. Cool. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the sermon. Okay. So Nicodemus, John three. Um, I love that juxtaposition that you offer between like Nicodemus coming, you know, at night, um, to talk to Jesus and then being the one who comes then at the end. Um, yeah. And the, you know, the, the different ways that we might translate that, um, that verb to, to be born again. So Nicodemus is, is a Pharisee and he's very well known and Pharisees, you know, from what we can see in the new Testament, love to kind of debate and talk about, uh, talk about scripture and really get into the nuance of things. Um, which I think I probably also identify a little bit too much with. Um, and it, And so Nicodemus comes into Jesus and Jesus launches into this whole, you need to be born uh, again. And that meaning the the word that he uses there in the Greek can mean be born again or be born from above. And so it seems like Nicodemus doesn't really engage um, what Jesus is saying to the level that maybe he could being the scholar that he is, uh, which I find interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I love how you put yourself in it and really identify with Nicodemus saying like, you know, that 
I think for, for those of us who, um, who choose to pursue some sort of advanced theological education, there is a huge temptation there, right? To want to fill our minds and our hearts with lots of words, lots of talk about God. Let's write about God. Let's learn all there is to learn about God. And, and a lot of times to the neglect of actual relationship with God and actually knowing God directly. Um, and I, I love how you uh, how you called that out and sort of confess that that's, that's a, a, a difficulty for you, um, which really opens the door for the rest of us to kind of think like, is that, could that be me too? Like what, you know, what word is there that I need in there? Um, would that be the primary way that you would say this sermon kind of worked on you or are there other things that this was kind of revealing to you? Yeah, I think, I think that's one of the main ways because Jesus is really, in my interpretation of, of how I'm reading this, Jesus is really calling Nicodemus out for, um, for his assumption about who God can work through, who the spirit can work through. Mm-hmm. And I think that I fall into that temptation too. I think I know so much about God. I've had theology classes. I know big words um, <laughs> about God. And uh-huh. if I'm not letting that transform me, then that's not doing anything. And I have seen God at work just as much in um, in people that are currently imprisoned or have uh, just just left prison or in um, our homeless neighbors or in children uh, and can see the spirit of God working in those people um, as much or more than, than some of my, myself or my fellow scholars sometimes. And so uh, just kind of a reminder that we don't get to choose where the spirit goes and the spirit chooses where the spirit goes. Indeed. Yeah. And it's an excellent reminder of just how, as divine image bearers, whether or not we recognize that, whether or not we call upon Jesus or confess a belief in God, like we're all divine image bearers. And so we all have that capacity within us to display, you know, the peace of God, the love of God. Um, and so it, it is a very humbling experience, right? To witness that in, in a neighbor or, in, you know, in a friend, a neighbor, whoever, who maybe doesn't even necessarily believe what we believe. Um, and yet they can be embodying that piece of God so much more fully than we were trying to with all of our big words and all of our, you know, right beliefs. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. That is a word we need to hear. I apologize for my dog barking in the background. If it gets too annoying, I'm going to stop her. Um, so will you tell us a bit about your journey? Um, Cause I know you're at, you're currently at a church of Christ and you're a woman, and it's still somewhat rare for churches of Christ to employ women and to call us ministers. Furthermore, um, so what what pieces of that journey might you be willing to share with us? Yeah. So I grew up in the churches of Christ, and um, and I loved church. Um, I loved learning about God. I was that annoying kid that would go up to the preacher afterwards and be like, Hey, my Bible says that Phoebe was a deaconess. What does that mean? Why do we know that? Um, I, uh, I will admit that I was in Bible bowl and I was real good at Bible bowl. Um, nice. I, I kind of thrived in, in that environment. I loved learning. I loved theological discussions. I just absolutely ate it up, but I grew up in the church of Christ as a woman 
And so um, I had always kind of wanted to do something, maybe be a missionary or a children's minister or something, but um, ended up going to a state school to get my, um, to, to be an English major. And mm. while I was there at Tarleton State University, my minister, Mick Beesbor, was getting his MDiv <gasps> at Mick. ACU. Do you He's know a Mick? friend of mine. Yeah. Oh. I adore him. So I lived with him and his wife, Tara, for Aww. one year while I was in school. I was nannying their little boy who is no longer little, which is <laughs> very sad. But um, And so Mick would go to, to ACU and, and come back with all of this knowledge, and, and I just ate it up. I wanted to hear everything he was learning, and um, I would read his papers. I was an English major, and so I would get my red pen out, and I would <laughs> fix all of his, his grammar mistakes and everything in those papers. And I just kept thinking, man, this would be so cool if I could do something like this too. Too bad, woman. And Uh. then he started reading things by Barbara Brown Taylor and talking about some of the women in his class, um, like Naomi. And and so I started thinking, okay, maybe this is something that I can do. But I knew that my parents wouldn't approve and I knew that my church family wouldn't approve. And those were really important relationships in my life that I didn't want to jeopardize. Um, and so at the time, um, ACU had just put on, um, a series of podcasts called half the church. I don't know if you remember those, but, um, Mick said, why don't you listen to these and then kind of let that inform your decision about what you want to do, um, with your next steps, pursuing ministry or not. And, um, and it was heartbreaking to hear those women talk about the way that their families treated them and their church families treated them, how difficult it was to find jobs, how difficult it was to be taken seriously um, within their churches that they loved so much. Yeah. And at the end of one of the interviews, the interviewer asked one of the women, if you could, if a, if a young woman was interested in pursuing ministry, what would you say to her? Mm -hmm. And she just broke down in tears and said, um, I wish that I would say you go girl, we've got this. But I think that what I'd actually say is run away while you still love the church. And that was really impactful for me. Um, because it, it, I suspected that that it would be difficult and just hearing these women verbalize that um, really solidified my decision to not pursue ministry. And so uh, I felt a little bit like Jonah um, where I heard a clear call from God to pursue something. And I said, no, thank you. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Um, and then I spent some time in the belly of the whale (laughs) per se. Mm. And, uh, after, after some, um, some personal heartache and learning lessons the hard way, um, man, probably six or seven years after, after that decision not to pursue ministry, I decided, okay, this God, I'm going to try it your way. I'm going to stop trying to do things my way. I'm going to do it your way done running. Yeah, exactly. And it was really important to me to stay in the churches of Christ. Um, I love the churches of Christ. I understand, um, when, when women feel like they need to leave, um, for their own mental and spiritual and emotional health. Um, and for me, this is the church that raised me to love God and to love scripture. 
Um, and I see the good in, in the churches of Christ. And I want to be a part of helping make this tribe that I love a little bit more just and a little bit more like the kingdom of God. And so as long as there's room for me here, um, I will, I will, stay with the churches of Christ. And so that brought me to Lipscomb because essentially as I was thinking, okay, I need to have a a master's of divinity in order to be taken seriously as, as a woman in ministry, um, is, is kind of what I was thinking. And so really narrowed down my options to ACU or Nashville or, or Lipscomb. And mm-hmm. I just thought uh, Nashville's a nicer place to live than Abilene. <laughs> so that's how I ended up here. No offense to anybody listening who's from Abilene, but I'm not moving back to Texas. It's too hot, man. <laughs> Abilene is filled with beautiful people. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's how I ended up here. And, um, Otter Creek is a church in Nashville that uh, is more open to women than, um, than many other churches of Christ. And so when I was getting my MDiv, I needed an apprenticeship somewhere to get some practical, um, education. Mm -hmm. And so I begged Otter Creek to let me join as an apprentice. And it just worked out that, uh, there was an opening as I was graduating. Um, and so just moved, moved right in. I've I've loved it here. It's been, it's been a blessing. The people are great. The ministry staff is great. Uh, the work that, that we're doing in Nashville, partnering with other ministries is, is great. And I just love, um, I love being here. That's awesome. So how long have you been, um, employed full-time with Otter Creek? Since last August. So almost. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's so great. Oh, I'm so happy for you. It's, um, yeah, that's a really neat, it sounds like you're in a neat position in a cool place, um, and a great church. So that's wonderful. Okay. Um, you've already shared so much of your history. I wonder, I've started asking people, um, what they wish church leaderships or ministers knew, like as a woman, um, who is gifted to preach, um, who, especially one who grew up in churches of Christ, like what do you wish churches of Christ would hear or could hear? Is there a word? Yeah. That I'm not an issue to be discussed. Amen. Um, I am not a, a topic of conversation, a difficult topic to be addressed by a group of men to determine what to do about. I am a child made in the image of God and gifted by the Holy Spirit um, in preaching and teaching and ministry and that they are hindering the work of the spirit and of the kingdom of God by prohibiting gifted and talented women from using the full range of their gifts. Amen. That's a good word. Thank you, Becky. We'll look forward to having you on the podcast again soon. All right. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you. Thanks. If today you find yourself on the outside without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together.
If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that become a patron button on our page, patreon.com slash Jen And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at Jen Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.